Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lifted in towards Crouch. Central-backs attacked it. Johnson. Worth a go! Oh! What a stunning goal! Glenn Johnson with an absolute beauty. His first at Bratton Park. For close to two decades, he operated as a fullback at the highest level. Melchior top there. Johnson! There's no keeping them down. Coming through West Ham's youth ranks, being the first signing of the Roman Abramovich era, and playing under some of the managers we most associate with the Premier League. Jose Mourinho. I'm very happy with the attitude. Rafa Benitez. I have to to talk about facts. Brendan Rodgers. This was an opportunity that I felt was too good to turn down. Mark Hughes. We were not playing badly um, the last few games. Kenny Dalglish. You'd be disappointed if I wasn't pleased. Roy Hodgson. We haven't progressed as far as I thought we were capable of, and that's obviously not acceptable. That's quite an eclectic mix. And so how does a role change under these contrasting managers? How did being a fullback evolve during his career? Former Chelsea, Liverpool and England international, Glenn Johnson will be working between the lines with me today. Marini moving into the centre forward position. Here's Glenn Johnson and he has a crack at goal. That is superb. Glenn Johnson joins in the fun. Glenn, fullback used to be quite an unfashionable job, but we've watched it evolve into one of the most important positions on the pitch. We've had Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Julian Nagelsmann, all talking about how you can now run a game from there. Over the course of your career, how did the demands of the position change? Um... Well, it was obviously the start of the era when it, like you say, when it was changing in terms of, you know, um, you know, before my time, for example, fullbacks were pretty much centre-offs playing at fullback, if you know what I mean. You know, they didn't want to go forward. Um, they just wanted to defend. And, and that, was brought, that was almost brought up to sort of win the ball and then give it to the winger. Um, but then, you know, with players that I played with and watched growing up, you started to see that change um, and you naturally become better players on the ball and, and you have more desire to be a part of the game than just than just to defend, if that makes sense. What do you think sparked the different changes? Um, 
I think just like anything, you know, in, in, certainly in sport when the margins are so fine that everyone's always looking for angles or, you know, areas to get an, one up on their opponents or, or to be ahead of the game. Um, and obviously, look, we had Cafu and people like that to watch that were also getting forward, m- more so just Brazilian football, to be honest. Um, and I just think it's a natural progression within the sport. Um, and then by doing so, you know, players, like I said earlier, they become better on the ball. They get used to playing in certain positions. Uh, you know, for me, for example, you know, I was a striker as a kid, uh, like most players are, to be honest. And then, you know, the, the, the better people, you, you, you become better on the ball by playing in those areas than just being brought up as a centre half, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you said there, uh, I find very few players that I speak to actually started out in the game thinking that they wanted to be in any of the defensive positions. Yeah. How did you, over time, convince yourself that actually I can be quite offensive here and I can carve out a career for myself in this position? Because when you've convinced yourself, like growing up and when you get into it, an academy that you want to be an attacking player, it's quite hard to shift your mindset that young. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I think every you know every every kid coming up in the playground wants to be the next goal scorer or whatever you know, and that's where you know it's always fun scoring goals and stuff like that, which is why most players start out as strikers. But but for me, I was you know I was at West Ham as 14 year old kid still as a striker, um, and then it wasn't until one day one of the centre halves got injured we had no subs and I was just the first one that said, look, I'll play there, you know, no problem. And I actually played really, really well. And then I was like, well, let's, let's try that again. Uh, so then I sort of started there again the week later, progressed really well and I was happy with it. Um, but for me, it was kind of like a bit, it's a bit boring, if you know what I mean, because I knew I was better technically than just to play centre half. So I was yes. kind of a bit like, I, I used to end up doing stuff for the fun of it. Um, that would be risky just because it'd keep me on my toes because I was a bit bored, if that makes sense. Um, but obviously when I got a bit older um, and then near the first team, of course they didn't want to, you know, the first team didn't want to put me as a young 16, 17 year old kid into the Premier League as a, as a, as a centre half. Um, so naturally they pushed me as a right back and that was pretty much the first time I played right back. Um, and then, but because of the tacking instincts like I just mentioned you you naturally you've got the license on the sides to go up and down because you're not the key one in the center of the park that's going to obviously expose all the space so so to get forward with that natural instincts as fullbacks kind of suited me uh, from the beginning now you had the natural instinct to be offensive but did managers certain managers want you to curb that considerably or have you felt through your career that you did always have that license? Um, It's a bit of both. Um, You know, there'd be times when, you know, there'd be times when I spent more of my game as a winger than I did as a, as a fullback. Um, And you'd watch like the the newspaper reports the week later and they're hammering you because they're saying you're just out of position the whole time and this and that. But it was really that it was those people with those comments that were well behind the sport um, because, I was only out of position if you're looking at a certain formation, you know, if we've got the ball, we make our own formation. You don't have to, you don't have to start right back and play a football match from there. You know, you can, so, so they was just sort of almost like dinosaurs really watching it. Um, But yeah, but, but with managers themselves, a lot of them were encouraging because, you know, if the ball's on my side, 
even with the you know the oldest way of looking at football, then the, the left fullback should be back in position. So I've got the license to go. Um, so yeah, so a lot of managers were encouraging pushing you forward. It would just be at certain times, you know, because obviously if you're winning a game one nil and there's 15 minutes to go, you don't need to be flying forward so much. So in the younger days, I'd go forward at every single opportunity because you know, I had the legs and the lungs to do it. Um, but the manager would then be panicking on the side thinking, you know, we've only got 10 minutes to hold this game out. So they want you to stay back a little bit. But in terms of from the first minute, they'd always encourage you to get forward and get involved. Now, speaking of managerial demands of a fullback, you've played under so many different tacticians who all have, you know, specific requirements from manager to manager, how much did it change for you? And which demands stand out in your mind? Which were maybe the hardest to, to get to grips with? Or which change between managers uh, was the most difficult? Um, I think the, the well, I think the most difficult uh, uh, and strange manager was, was Hodgson in the sense that uh, Liverpool... Obviously, we had some fantastic players, uh, but we was kind of told that we had to run in straight lines and not cross over each other, which was kind of limiting everyone's ability because we was miles better than that. Um, you know, the reason we was at Liverpool is because you can think through the games and you can have your stamp on the game as you see it unfold. Uh, so to be told to play a bit robotic wasn't natural. So that was that was challenging and a, and a bit difficult. Um, but with Brendan, I'd say, I'd say with Brendan was probably the best because obviously at the time, you know, he believed in me. Um, and there's times at fullback where I'd spend 15 minutes of the game in midfield, you know, because, because you're allowed to go and play the game the way you see it. So, you know, if, if, if the ball's over on the left wing and I'm standing at right back, I'm no, I've got no effect on the game at all. Whereas, I could go and stand in midfield because no, no one can hit a 70 yard pass over to that corner that you can't react to anyway, you know? So it's, it's just sort of seeing a game in a different way that you just always want to be a part of it and always want to be involved. And obviously if I'm, if I'm pushing into midfield, that's pushing the midfielders closer to the ball and then you suffocate the opponents, you know? So it's, it's just a, a new modern way of thinking. You spoke there about your time under Brendan Rodgers and Liverpool were an attacking juggernaut at that period. Daniel Sturridge, Luis Suarez, Felipe Coutinho. The the emphasis of that team was very much, you know, in their ability to hurt the op- opposition in that regard. How did you guys still try and have some offensive protection what were the tactics to make sure you weren't always overexposed um well it's just literally what i just said a minute ago to be honest in terms of we was always although we all went forward we was all close together so the re- the reason there was no so what i mean by that is because you know if we're all going forward together then when we lose the ball we're already cl- together so you're, you're already positioned to press and get the ball back straight away yeah um we didn't really go you know some you see some teams now they have a back four and a goalkeeper and then the rest go forward and then they're up and down up and down whereas our whole team went up and our whole team came back so whenever we lost the ball you was only i don't know say 5 to 8 yards away from pressing to win it back um, and that's why we scored so many goals in the first sort of 20 minutes, uh, because we, pre- we pretty much won all the games we won. We pretty much won them in the first 20 minutes. 
um, you know, because we just start so quick, suffocated teams. And you and and when te- when teams do that to you, you feel like you can't win the football match. So we used to just physically and mentally dominate them in the first twenty minutes. Um, but but to do that, you have to be you know you have to be close to each other. Otherwise, you get picked off. And obviously, good teams can pass the ball around you. In saying that, the criticism of that Liverpool team, especially in in 2013-14, is as great as they were to watch. They were vulnerable defensively. Now, being part of that rear guard, Mm. did you take that as a slight or were you actually proud at being part of one of the best attacking units that the Premier League has seen? Because I think people always like to compartmentalize, you know, defense mm. is one element, attack is another element, but it's so collective. Yeah. So did yeah. when that criticism was coming in, did you view it the other way? Well, actually, look at what we managed to do going forward. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't aware of that criticism. Um, but hearing it now... Uh, I couldn't care less <laughs> because you can't be you can't be neg- you can't be bad defensively if you tr- if you're winning the league if you if you you know if you're if you, if you're fighting for the top of the table you can't be bad defensively that's impossible if you if you know if you're bad defensively you'd be mid table um so you know I don't agree with that at all anyway um but yeah but look in terms of you know being positive with the team going forward and how exciting it was it was great to play in you know, as an attacking fullback, you know, as up and down the pitch, you, you know, you're into, you, you're, you're physically and mentally attached to every single game. Um, and you're going forward and we were scoring what we pretty average three goals a game <laughs> for a period of that season. So, um, so no, it's fantastic times. Uh, of course it was very unlucky that we just didn't go over the line. Um, but no, I don't, I don't remember that season for us being fragile at the back at all. I want to go back to your period at Chelsea because it gets forgotten that you were the first signing of the Roman Abramovich era. So much change was to come. Jose Mourinho turning the club into a record-breaking machine. But as a player, could you feel a significant transformation was about to happen in those early days? Um, Well, not initially, to be honest. Obviously, I was only an 18-year-old kid. Um... Obviously, I know they kind of bought me for the, you know, for the potential, or whatever. But I didn't, you know, at eighteen, I wouldn't have been a part of the talks. They 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 told me that there's going to be some big names following me through the door. But you know, as an eighteen year old kid, I'm looking at their team thing, and they've already got giant names, you know. So I'm thinking at the time, I was happy to go and work with you know Mano Petit, Desai, Terry Lampard, you know, uh, Hasselbank, all these players that I was, they were big names. So I was just keen to work with them in a, in a top side. I, I didn't for a second, and I don't think anybody did understand the sort of power that was going to happen to that football club very shortly after. Um, but you know, after that, you know, that's just buying all the best players in the world. It was it was fantastic, um, and the standard of training was obviously incredible. Is it like you say, we just broke record after record. No, our group is a special group. Our group is a special group. They they deserve this. I think nobody nobody speaking with which fair and sense can say we don't deserve this, this title because we did it absolutely magnificent, absolutely magnificent. The players, they deserve, they deserve this more than, than anybody, but I'm very happy for the fans, especially for fans, never champions, so people with less than, than 50 years old. And um, Roman, I think he deserves a lot. Eugene, the people with, with the big boss, Peter Cannon. What was Jose Mourinho 
like as a manager? What were his demands at the outset at Chelsea, especially of his defensive players? Because, you know, he is quite pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was quite restrictive to the defensive guys, um, but he's very animated. You know, you know, he knew what he wanted to do. And obviously back then, Jim- Mourinho was a different guy to what he is now. Um and, you know, he sort of burst on the scene. You know, I mentioned that the club was buying all these players, but they also replaced a very good manager. You know, with Ranieri, we finished second the season before, you know. So it wasn't like it wasn't like things were terrible. Um, so, yeah, so, so obviously Mourinho came in with his plans. Um, you know, he wanted to put his foot down on everything from day one, and he did that. The training was great. Uh, it was different, uh, completely different to how it was before. But it was fun, short, sharp, um, and he just made sure everybody was engaged to it. So... Uh, yeah. So as a manager, yeah, he's one of the best coaches I've worked with. You know, he knew he knew how to how to win football matches and and how to set the team up well. You speak there about the levels in training. It can feel cliche when players or managers say that what we see on a match day is a result of the work that's put in during the week. It feels like it might be the case with some managers more than others. Yeah, you know what this is? It's, it's like, like you say, when you say about cliche, some managers say that and they don't mean it. You know, some managers say, oh, we worked really hard this week and, and they haven't. You know, they just say it because they think it's the, the right thing to say. Um, but with like, with top managers, I, I believe that is what happens. You know, with Mourinho, certainly Rafa, uh, Benitez um, and Brendan, you work in situations in the week that when that situation unfolds on a Saturday, you all know what you need to do. So that's when you start to, because sometimes don't be wrong, there can be times because you don't do it too long in the week because it can be boring. You know, it can be a bit mundane in terms of if he goes there, you do this and whatever. And it can be a bit boring, uh, but you know why you're doing it. And then come a Saturday when that certain scenario unfolds and you win the ball back quickly and you might create a chance, then you start to believe in the manager's thoughts and say, Oh, you know, Oh, that's why we're doing it. You know, it can sort of, it takes time for the managers to win their sort of views over um, but but top managers, when they get it, it, it makes a big difference. Um, and then, like you say, when you're playing with top players, you know some of the best players in the world, of course, you're not going to be threatened by much at the weekend if you're used to training with them every week, uh, every day in a week. You mentioned there about, you know, managers being able to, in a session, sort of prime for what's going to happen uh, on a match day. Do the best managers have the ability then to 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 make your decision making automatic by virtue of preparing you so well? You know, you speak about the situations coming up, but does it then just become second nature to you? Um, I, I would say like, you know, automatic. No, it's like there's times when because look, at the end of the day, when you when you go into the football match, you, the players play the match, you know, you have, you have like three or four things in your head that when certain things happen, this is what we're going to try to do. But ultimately the players need to make the decisions of when to go, when not to go. Are we in the right position? Is my partner with me? So it's not that you play it robotic. You have a few sort of bullet points and then you try to execute that the best you can. Um, but then you have to put your personal touch into the match. You have to, um, you know, otherwise, otherwise, you know, otherwise anyone could do it, you know? So, it, so, you, so of course the guys, then, then once you've got that, that it's hard to explain, but it's but once you've sort of got that situation set up, then you have to go and put your flair into the match and, and do what you do and show why you're playing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that 
makes complete sense to me. Do some managers get annoyed if you then use your freedom and put your interpretation on things or have you not found that much? No, yeah, you do, yeah, they do. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, there's times, uh, just thinking off the top of my head, like Mark Hughes, for example, there's a few times when, um, you know, there's a few things we sort of disagreed on, um, but more so like, just, not not so much like disagree in terms of, you know, lock horns. It would just be the fact that when this happens, I think I should drop off here and do whatever. And he's like, no, you should go forward, blah, blah, blah. But then ultimately, if I'm playing the match, there's times when I have to make split second decisions and I have to do what I think's right. Um, so, you know, because the manager can obviously, they work hard all week, but then unfortunately for them come the weekend, they can't do too much because once, once we're on the pitch, we have to go and win the match. We have to do what we feels right. Um, but it's only that, but you know, it's only those split milliseconds when it's instinctive, you have to do what you believe in. Yeah, and that instinct you talk about comes from being in the game, feeling the flow of it, you know, as much as you can prepare during the week, it's so different on a match day. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's totally different. Um, you know, you've got adrenaline going, you know, uh, there might be certain crosses that come in where, you know, it, you know, it's a big, in training, you might control it, bring it down and make a pass, you know, but in a game, some people panic, they change their mind or, or they're a bit nervous or they don't feel great at a time. So there's loads of different factors that can change it. But, but like you say, you can do what you want during the week, but you need to, you need to be, it's, it's almost muscle memory for, you know, you, you're in certain positions so many times through your younger days playing football as well, that, that you know how much time you have, you know, like, you know, I, I remember early days when there's long crosses coming to the back post and I'm chesting it to the keeper and everyone's panicking, going crazy. And I'm like, well, you weren't like, I was never worried about it. So I'm thinking, why are you worried about it? But it's, but it's just, but it's just the way other people think, you know, but there'd be times the other way when I'm watching them do something, when I'm thinking, God, they're crazy. What are they doing? But that's what they do. That's why they're there, you know? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week at Sukarnov. On WrestleMe, Mark Haynes has been telling me about the world's tiniest man. So. Like, you wouldn't remember that guy <laughs> coming in. Flobbing in. Like, a big pancake. Massive sort of soft biscuit. <laughs> yeah, are you sure he's six inches? Do you remember him? Do I remember him? Do I? <laughs> right, then he isn't six inches He's tall. got a very unique body. <laughs> you can also join me on the Luke and Pete show where me and Luke have been trying to come up with excuses for our poor hairstyle choices. Now, more than any other era of my life, I care less and less about what other people think. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think we're at the time of life where we've probably got more disposable income than we had ten years ago, and we don't give a shit about what anybody thinks. And that's how midlife crises begin. I buy the stupid thing. I've got a scooter now. I'm wearing a ponytail. All that and a whole lot more at Sukarnov. Have there been times when you've come up against a player and with fullbacks, it is, you know, you get isolated often uh, on a one-on-one situation where you've just thought, I am not having a great game here. And no matter what I do, I, I just can't get out of this. Yeah, look, of course, every, if anybody tells you that, that they've never had a game like that, then they're lying. Um, you know, look, if you played 500 games at the top level, there's going to be a game when you've not been there, you know. Um, uh, one of my attributes is when I play crap, I forget about it quickly. <laughs> That's a very so, good attribute to have. <laughs> exactly. So I, thinking of the game off the top of my head now, I genuinely can't think. But of course, there has been, there's, there, there would have been plenty, you know. Are there players that come to mind if, if you think of that? When you play against them, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know what? It'd have been it'd been younger days. Like um, I remember, like reserve football. Like I, it sounds crazy, but I only played like ten, about ten or twelve reserve games. But in about four of them, I played against Matty Everton. Um, and at the time, this was one of the first times I've been playing right back. So I was very quick to want to press and eager to win the ball. That by the time I'm running towards him, he's already run past me, and I'm thinking. You know, just thinking, Jesus, I don't know how to get to grips with this. Um, and, and literally, I reckon in the three matches, I reckon he ran past me every single time he ran at me. You know, and I'm just thinking, what do I need to do here? You know, it's like it was mind-blowing. But but I think from those games is what actually you learn the most from. You know, every, when things are going well and easy and in your, your direction, then of course the game's easy. But it's not until you're put in the deep end when you're struggling with something that then you really have to work out a way of controlling it and working it out. On that point, you said it's easy for you to forget the matches you've been terrible in. But when you're actually in the game and it's a bad game, you're just not getting any change. How do you make it to the end of the match? What sort of techniques are you doing? What are you telling yourself? 
I just tried to get back to basics. You, you know, so you can have bad games for different reasons. You can have a bad game because your passing's been off, uh, your concentration's been off, or your defending's been off. But they don't always all three happen at the same time, you know. So normally, if my, if my passing's not there, I just think right next time I get it, make a simple pass, and then you start getting your confidence, and you know, and then you go again because I never ever beat myself up much just for I'm having a bad game, you know, because I'll be thinking, look, I'm out here for a reason, you know, so I'm not, I'm not a bad player. It's just, I'm having a bad few minutes. Um, so I'd always just try to be calm and stick to the basics. And then, and things change so quick in football. Um, you know, we've seen players before having a terrible game, can't control the ball and then they score. And then they all of a sudden now they, they, their confidence is through the roof. Um, so you don't, you know, just cause you start bad, it don't mean you're going to have a bad 90 minutes. So I just always used to, tried naturally to start well, but the day, the days it didn't, I just tried to try to stay calm and then build your way into the game. Have you shared a dressing room you will have with players that are the inverse, the opposite, where they wear all their bad performances so heavily and they are so critical of themselves and they do beat themselves up so much about it? Yeah, absolutely bundles. There's, there's, there's much more players that do that than, than think the way I do, um, for sure. Uh, like I say, you know, if I, I've seen players in the dressing room after games, they can't speak for two hours. You know, they don't, they're, they're that distraught. They don't even want to speak. Um, sitting there with a hand, you know, the head in the hands. And many times I've gone around to them and say, look, you know, I, I literally, I just say to them, look, you can't do nothing about it now. <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you're close to being in tears. And what can you do about it? You can't change it. So just forget about it. And then, you know, tomorrow you'll be back and we'll be training again and you forget about it. But it's easy for me to say that because I think like that. Um, but, you know, so it's, but when you're trying to, you're just trying to help them. But honestly, I've said, you know, we've had dinners planned, you know, we've had dinners planned after football or the next day and people don't want to go because they played bad at the weekend. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, it's a very healthy mindset to have, but I think in in a football context that's often looked at so badly, like it's framed as you don't care enough or you're not invested enough. Or ha- have you felt that um, analysis of you throughout your career that people are like, guys, oh, too laid back. He he doesn't care so much about the game or doesn't look like the performance affected him. No, not at all. Because anyone that says that don't know me. Because you, you don't, if if you don't care about football, or if you don't care about winning or losing, you don't play in the Premier League for sixteen years. Yes, it's as simple as that. And you don't play for your country, and you don't play in big tournaments. So no, I would never have got to the where I got to if I didn't care about football. Like you know, that's, that's the total opposite. What I'm saying is, it's with with because I am relaxed. It's easy to get over the negatives. Um, but listen, no one wanted to win more than me. That's a great point because, you know, you use the word relax there. And the point I was getting at is that relaxed can often, especially in the media and stuff, be reframed as other things. But you strike me as somebody who didn't really care much about what was written about you or said on TV about you. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. To a point, um, you know, there'd be a few people close to me that I'd, I'll take note of what they're saying, but listen, you know, in this, in this world, there's, uh, in, and certainly in football, there's so many sofa experts that you could beat yourself up every day if you listen to every comment, you know? So it's, um, it, but it's, look, it's a fantastic sport that obviously it's great that loads of people love it, but 
people that are the ones that, you know, say you played rubbish this week and whatever, they're the ones that don't know much about football in terms of, well, not all of them, but what I mean is it's easier to say that sat on the sofa, you know, Um, you know, if you're saying they're doing it. And the reason I, the reason I didn't pay too much attention was because I was honest to myself, you know, when, when I played bad, I knew I played bad. And when I played good, I knew I played good. So, you know, so for me, when I think like that, I don't, I don't need to hear it from everybody else. It's, it just is because I've, I've had people come up to me after the game and say to me, oh, you was fantastic today, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, no, I wasn't. I was rubbish. You know, and then, I'll, you know, and then, I'll, then there'll be times when I've heard people say that I was rubbish and I'll be thinking, no, I wasn't. I was fantastic today. So, you know, so uh, as, long as, I, 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 as long as I'm honest with myself, then that's, that's, that's why I think I, I carried on and played the way I did for so long. You spent a lot of time at Liverpool and you witnessed so much at that club you know, highs, lows in terms of on the pitch, high court battles off the pitch. And then finally, the club have gotten to a point of success, you know, champions of Europe, champions of England. And after last season, I do not think anyone foresaw what happened in this campaign. And now, you know, the largest part of it is down to the crippling injuries they've had. But when you look at at Liverpool now, having, you know, gone through that roller coaster with them, they've got stability. Do they risk that stability? Because there's obviously, as it is in modern football, there's a lot of noise at the moment. A lot of people saying, well, the manager should be questioned. His position should be under threat but what's your reading of the whole situation um no look uh, the, i think everyone uh, of course right now it's different but if we go if we rewind four or five weeks you know the club's been rebuilt from the from the ground up um you know like in our like the last nine what is it the last season for example we were selling some of the best players in the world and replacing them with no one near their level. Um, so the club was going the wrong way. Um, obviously there's the fights with the owners. So no, these owners have come in and been unbelievable. They've built the club back up from the foundations. So the club now is going to remain competing for an awful long time. Um, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. The manager should not be under the microphone, uh, microscope right now. Um, at that level, I think it's just the fact that they've been performing so perfect for so long but the minute that they're not, of course, you know, everyone wants to comment on it and jump on their back. Um, of course, the six home defeats is a, well, I don't know what you say about that. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, but no, look, I think the, the manager's not going to be, he shouldn't be under pressure. Um, anyone saying that he should be looked at, I disagree. Uh, they've just had way too much bad luck at once. Um, I think they, they will need to sign a few more players to, to freshen it up. Um, because you know, as people have known for a while that they do heavily rely on the front three to score goals. Um, and when they're not, of course they struggle. Um, and then you have that multiplied with, you know, the 19 partnerships at center half injuries to all their key men is any, if any team in the world, you know, city, even city, if you have that many injuries and, you know, in key positions, you feel the pain and you feel the struggle and it's hard to maintain that level of performance. Um, but I think, look, it's, 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 a, it's a blip. They will bounce back. Um, I'm sure they'll do something about it at the end of the season. And then come next year, I think they'll be, they'll be right back competing. 
as a player, how taxing is it when everything feels like it's just conspiring against you, like it's going wrong? You know, the injuries, you feel like you're not getting the luck of the bounce with the ball in games, all these things. How difficult is it to like sort of push through all of that and still try and perform to what you expect of yourselves? Because I, I think a lot of those players might be hurting that they can't actually give their 9 out of 10s and 8 out of 10s anymore. It's just, it's not coming. Not that they don't want it to come, but just for a variety of reasons, it's not there. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is hard and frustrating. You know, every player out there wants to go and perform the best they can every week. And normally, if you perform the best you can, you win. Um, so when, you know, when when things, you know, it could be it could be anything, you know, all of a sudden the defender's trying to block a shot and it's hitting him and going in and it happens next week and the week after. And, and like you say, you think, geez, I'm in the right position. What, what can I do? Um, and there's times when, you know, people are shooting and it's getting blocked or it's hitting the post or you're missing the target. You just got to try and believe that what you're doing is correct and keep doing it because there will be a time that probably you least expect it when things just do, do start to fall into place. Um, I think some people and some managers can react to every negative performance too quickly um, because there's sometimes you do play well and you do lose, you know, that's the sport that we're in. Um, you don't always have to sort of change it or look for the answers. Sometimes that's just sport. Um, but certainly when, when you, when you, when, when a lot's going against you, like you say, it's tough because you feel like you're there and you're putting the right effort in, but you're just not getting the results, which is frustrating. On that note, you spent so long at the elite end of football. There'll be quite a few young up and coming players listening to this. Is there anything you've picked up from your career that you'd like to pass on to them? No, I'd just be like, you know, I just want them to enjoy it. You know, I've, I think obviously to be a, a top club is, is, you know, it's a fantastic achievement. Um, but I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of young kids at top clubs that didn't go on to do too much. So I think I, I just want them to not rest on their laurels that, you know, that they're at Chelsea or that they're at Liverpool, but to take that in their stride and actually, not just accept it, but to push on and be the best they can. Um, you know, cause sometimes you see young guys thinking, Oh, I'm at Chelsea, you know, and they sort of, they take the foot off the gas and they just think their whole career is going to fall into place. Um, and it just doesn't work like that. So I just want, you know, when people have got that opportunity, I just want that I'd like working to work their socks off even harder. Um, and then try and carve out a fantastic career for themselves. You say enjoy it, but how difficult is that? in the current climate where there's so much pressure and there's everybody's got an opinion and people are waiting to cut you down on social media and there's so much money in the game at the moment so if you don't really take your opportunity or you're at a club where you can be easily replaced that there seems to be no room to actually enjoy yourself to have fun in the yeah. game much yeah yeah and look when i say have fun you know i don't mean jump around and act childish every day and mess around you know i mean enjoy what they do i mean enjoy working hard enjoy trying to improve enjoy the challenge um you know and enjoy the fight for their position um I, I, that, and that, what i mean by that that's complete opposite to going into training thinking, oh, am I going to play this week? Or, oh, uh, you know, beating themselves up. Because like you say, there's enough people that would beat them up anyway. So they don't need to be doing it themselves. 
Um, yes, it's a high pressured game and even more so at the top clubs, but you've got to try and take that in your stride because you know that when you sign up to the game, you know, so it's not like it's anything new. Um, so what I mean is just don't put extra pressure on themselves. I don't mean enjoy it in a say, just run around and do whatever you want. I mean, enjoy the fight, the physical battle of it, the challenge, um, and try to take it in a stride because I, I just believe that when people enjoy what they do, then they, they, they naturally become better at it. And it does, and that doesn't, that works for outside of sport as well. Just to close off, I, I want to know from you, the kid that started playing football, that really got into it to the man that retired, having spent such a long time at the highest level Did that feeling of that kid still resonate when you retired? Uh, no, it's not quite the same. No, it's not quite the same. Uh, of course, you love the, the game, but it becomes different. Um, like you say, when I was a kid, you know, when you are a child, you, you don't have... Well, first of all, when I got into football, I didn't think about becoming a professional footballer. I just played like in the kid in a park like everybody else. Um, so of course there's no moment like a young kid that loves football. Um, and obviously I guess as you do it as a job and your career, it does, it does become a job, but I don't mean it. That's not in a negative way. I just mean it is your job. So you have to deal with certain things differently. You know, you can't just, you can't just, you know, can't just play when you want or do whatever. So it does become a job. Um, and obviously at the end of my career, you know, at that point, what I've been playing football for, 20 odd years so it's a it's a long time um but yeah but no I, i did love it i think i just loved it in a different way i feel like i've gotten to know glenn johnson better during this episode than i ever did during his career and i covered his spell at anfield for a long period i hope you gained a lot from this episode and enjoyed it if you did Be sure to please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It's a great way to help new listeners find the show. Thanks for tuning in and hanging out Between the Lines with me. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production. Written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 